Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. Today we're going to look at the book of Philippians, the New Testament letter of Paul to the Philippians in chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 29, and maybe I should read that to begin with. Paul says, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, either by life or by death. That's interesting. And then here's the key, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I use that at almost every funeral. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? Just listen to his rationale here. I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand You stand firm in one spirit, contending. That's a good word. Contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Do we contend? It's not wrong to contend. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them. When you stand on your truth, when you stand on the truth, he says this is a sign to those who oppose the truth. It's a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, and we hope that changes their hearts but that you will be saved in that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. That's interesting too. Since you're going through the same trials that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. That's the word of God today. And I call this message the right perspective on life because the Apostle Paul here is in prison, not so much in prison. Yeah, he is, but he's under house arrest. He's got certain freedoms. And I call this the right perspective on life because from this house arrest, he really does have the right perspective on life. And perspective would be this, standing on a big rock, high up, overlooking the whole area for miles and miles. And you can see the bigger picture. See, perspective is seeing the bigger picture of your life, knowing where it's going. And this is a very difficult thing for me, arranging your priorities in the right way. That's what perspective is. It's seeing the big picture. It's knowing where your life is going and knowing where your life is headed, arranging your priorities accordingly. That's perspective. Verse 19, Paul says, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Well, what did Paul just say, inspired by the Holy Spirit? And again, this is God's word. He said, I know you're praying for me. I sense that. I know God's working. 
I know he's answering. You pray, he answers. Paul took great confidence in that. People praying for him was a tremendous source of comfort. Paul stood on this, that God hears and answers prayers. And those people were praying for him. And that was precious. Those people were praying for him, man. And he took great comfort in that. That, that was very special to him. He says, one way or another, he says, I'm going to be delivered. Remember, he was under house arrest. His trial would be coming up. One way or another, I'm going to be delivered, either to serve you or I'm going to be delivered to eternal life. So, folks, you need to ask people to pray for you. I do, too. Solicit their prayers. Don't be so kept to yourself. I can handle this on there on my own. Solicit people to pray for you. Do that. Paul did. And he said, as you pray, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, will lead me to accept the Father's perfect will. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. You know, a lot of times we pray. Father, teach me what you want to teach me through this ordeal that I'm going through. Don't you pray like that? Father, teach me what you want me to learn through what I'm going through. And that is a great prayer. That's very good doctrine. Help me to learn what you want to teach me as I'm going through this mess in my life. But I think God wants to hear your heart. Why don't you just say, Father, I hurt. (laughs) Get rid of this deal in my life. This is painful. I don't want this thing hanging around my neck anymore. Get this thing out of here, will you, Father? Pray like that once in a while, you know? Paul prayed on three different occasions, 2 Corinthians 12. Three different times he prayed, he fasted. Weeks at a time, he said, Father, I had this thorn in the flesh. We talked about that last week. He says, take this deal away. That's being real with God. Take it away. I don't want this thorn in the flesh. Get, Get this thing off of me. Pray like that. But always, always, always say and mean and believe that, Father, your perfect will for my life be done, not mine. you got to always say that. And so we ask people to pray for us. That's a very big deal. Father, Lord, so-and-so is going through something so tough. Get them through this. Get them out of the pain. Bring resolution. Bring healing. But, Father, your will, always your will, not mine. Your time. That's the way we pray for people. Paul was under house arrest. It would lead to a trial. A very interesting thing was going on here as I read the commentaries about this whole deal because the emperor Nero at that time, Nero said he was going to try this guy Paul himself. And that's very interesting because Paul wouldn't go through the legal system. The emperor Nero was going to try Paul. That's very interesting to me because, and I asked myself why, and it's because Paul was the leader of this Christian movement. Nero hated the Christians. He really hated the Christians. And so Paul would appear before him, and he would sit there on his judgment seat, and he would listen to all the trumped-up arguments against Paul. And then he would hear Paul's defense. He would speak in his own defense. And then all eyes would be riveted on that judgment seat where Nero sat because if he said, he would make the decision, there's no jury. And if he said, thumbs up, Paul lives. If he says, thumbs down, Paul dies. And what Paul is saying here is, you guys are praying for me. The Spirit's working in me. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Whatever God allows, I will glorify him. That's what he's saying. Whatever God allows, I will glorify him. Look at verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, 
but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by my life or whether by my death. He's leaving that up to God. Whatever happens, I want to glorify God. That is a prayer or a statement of release to God. I read that and I said to myself, man, ladies and gentlemen, children, there's no other way to live. It's the only way to live. If I don't release something to God, and I try, you know, I've done this so often, it's just so, it's just so futile. You're spinning your wheels. If I don't release something to God and I try and manipulate people and manipulate circumstances to work something out the way I want it to work out, the way I think it should work out, you know what there is? There's endless frustration. Because frustration is thinking how, you know, oh, I know what's right. I got the answers here. That's what frustration is. I know what's right. I want something to happen. And it's not happening the way you think it should happen. And try as you may, you can't make it happen. How often I try and make things happen. But when I release that whatever it is to God, no, it goes frustration. Because I said with Paul, okay, God. Thumbs up, I live, I accept that. Thumbs down, I die, I accept that too. And no matter what happens, either way, I am going to glorify you. And when you make that determination in your heart, baby, I'll tell you, 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 you can live again. I, I usually try and give examples from my own life, but I think there's two great biblical examples of release. Just to show you that this is the way to live, I think about the young lady, Hannah, a young woman, and she could not get pregnant for the life of her. In 1 Samuel 1.10, she goes into the tabernacle. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much. She wept much, and she prayed to the Lord. And then she made a vow, verse 11, 1 Samuel 1, she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, don't forget your servant, but give her a son then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever touch his head, meaning he'll be dedicated to God in Nazarite. But you read bitterness of soul, she wept much. People hear this. This is going to bless your life. Hannah said in so many words, I'm through trying on my own. She said, if I have a baby, I'm going to rejoice. And I'll give him to you. I'll dedicate the child to you for the rest of his life. But if I don't have a baby, I'm going to rejoice anyway. She released it to God before the prayer. She was absolutely frustrated. Back to verse 8 for Samuel. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? She wouldn't eat. Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Oh, this guy was full of compassion. Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Guys, this, this is the way you don't want to be, see? <laughs> so what Hannah did is she walked into that tabernacle the place of worship of the Jews. And she said, God, if I have a baby, I'll rejoice. If I don't have a baby, I'm going to rejoice. And things in her life changed, man. She went her way. She was no longer downcast. Verse 18, then she went her way. She ate something finally, and her face was no longer downcast. She released it to the Lord, and she could go on with life. Frustration was gone. See, you release, and you can do that.
Jesus, my second illustration, went to Gethsemane and he prayed, Father, remove this cup of suffering from me. And then you got that wonderful nevertheless. He said, nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that is a prayer of release. Nevertheless, I, I, I think to myself about, I, I, I go through these periods where I want everything done my way. Everything has to be done perfect, just the way I want it. Those are becoming fewer and far between, but they still happen. And I think to myself um, how Jesus Christ carried that sin and all the rest of my sins and all your sins to the cross in his holy, perfect, righteous body. And that's what drove him to pray. My sins in his body. My sins in a perfectly holy, sinless body bearing that sin. The father not seeing his sinless son, the father seeing in his son the curse of sin, all of our sins, and temporarily rejecting his son as he died on that cross. And that's what our Lord knew he was going into. And so he said, Father, that's a lot to bear. Remove this cup from me. But then the nevertheless, nevertheless, he said, not my will, but your be done. And I, I love, I love, you know, he goes into that, that, that garden so anxious. Father, I'm going to bear all these sins. I'm going to be alienated from you for a while. Then he releases it to God. And this is Mark 14, 41. And he comes out and he says, he wakes up his sleeping disciples. And he says, here comes the enemy. You see the new strength there? He released it to God. He says, okay, here comes Judas. Here comes the enemy. Let's go face this thing. Let's go face the enemy. He could do that when he... Let go. It's releasing to God. That blesses us. Here comes the enemy. Let's go meet him. See, so Paul said about this house arrest thing, he said, when it's resolved, thumbs up or thumbs down, that God will be glorified by me in life or death, whatever he chooses. See, we're talking about perspective on life. Is that a great perspective on life? If you have that perspective, you learn the Father in heaven always, will always, always, always do the very best for you because God's nature is good. He's God, he's holy, he's good, he wants your best. He has all power to make your best happen. Now, I don't always know what my best is because I live right here in time. He lives past, present, and future. So I don't know what my best is. That's why the nevertheless in our prayers, nevertheless, this is what I think is best. Nevertheless, your will, not mine, be done. When you get a hold of that, like Jesus, like Hannah, like Paul, you can release your circumstances and go on with life, and you can say whatever God brings about, I accept it and I will rejoice. And folks, let me tell you, that's a whole lot better than frustration. Philippians 1.21, I said earlier, I just, um, I, I will not let a funeral go by without Philippians 1.21. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll challenge the people, and I say, do you look at death as gain? Paul says, this is your memory work, man. You, this, this, you got you to memorize this. One of the more important passages you will ever memorize that will make a difference in your life. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Again, this is not me saying this. God, the Holy Spirit, God himself, third person of the Holy Trinity, inspired Paul to write this. This is God's word. Do you really believe that death is gain. Because if you did, you would live differently. 
do you really believe that death is gain? I think about the martyrs for their faith, like Bishop Polycarp in Smyrna, who was burned for his faith. And they said to him, deny Christ. And he said, deny my Lord who gave me everything. I think of the missionaries. The Muslims would say to the missionaries, deny Jesus. Quit talking about Jesus and you can live. If you keep talking about Jesus, you're going to die. For me to live is Christ to die. And you know what I thought about when I wrote this? I thought about the Revelation Christians. Revelation 13, they didn't make it for the rapture because they didn't believe in Jesus Christ then. But after the rapture, they came to faith. And now they're believers in Jesus Christ in the great tribulation when the Antichrist rules. And Revelation 13 says, if you take the mark of the beast, meaning you worship the emperor, this Antichrist, oh, you're cool. You can live a normal life. But if you don't take the mark of the beast, prepare for the most terrible suffering of your life. You know, this passage had to reverberate in their minds. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Over and over and over again. Now, if that were me, and it won't be because I'm going to be raptured, but if that were me, that single passage would take me through my, my, my violent death. To die is gain. That, 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 see, that's perspective on life. I said perspective on life was standing like on a huge rock precipice. You see the entire landscape. You see the big picture. You see the big picture of life. Paul had that perspective. He knew where his life was going. Death was a necessary event to get the very best God had. But for, it was gain. He's going to die. I mean, thumbs up, he'd live for a time, but eventually he would die. Thumbs down, he'd die right away. But regardless, he had the right perspective on life. Death is gain. You got to think like that. It's your desire to know the mind and heart of Jesus Christ so well. You want your every thought, every word, every deed to be exactly what he would think, say, and do in every circumstance. That's what it means to live as Christ and to die as gain. Folks, I struggle with my sin. Every true believer struggles with their sin. If you are a true believer, you will never have peace about your sin. People tell me, oh, I have a peace about this. That's nonsense. About something that's out of God's will. Don't ever say you got a peace about something that's out of God's will. If you're not struggling with sin, then you're not a believer. So I struggle with my sin. But when I see Jesus as he is, I will have no sins to struggle with. No struggles with sin. No more guilt. No more regrets. No, why did I say that? Why did I think that? Death is gain. I'm going to struggle anymore. Boy, do I want that. That's the direction of your life and my life. But, you know, Paul says, my day in Nero's court is coming. Could be thumbs up, could be come down, thumbs down. I could live, I could die. Verse 22, this is great. For if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. Between life and death. Would you be torn between the two? I'm torn between light, living and dying. I desire to die and to be with Christ, which is better by far. Not just better. To be with Christ is better by far. Wow, that's good stuff. And then the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this in verse 24. We got to deal with this too. I do want to depart and be with Christ. I don't want to struggle with sin. I want the perfect joy of heaven. But, but verse 24 has to be dealt with too. It says, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. 
And convinced of this, I know I will remain with you and will continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. And so that's simply telling us we always need to opt for life. Your prayer should be something like this, Lord, take me home when your purpose for me is accomplished. That needs to be our prayer. And then we live in this life to his glory as long as God still has a purpose for us, but we see where life is going to be with Christ, which is better by far, which is gain. May you have that perspective on your life because that perspective that life is moving toward eternity, gain, that it's better by far, is going to affect you in so many ways. And that's what we want to look at the rest of this message. How is it going to affect you to have that eternal perspective, the right perspective on life? I believe it takes away or diminishes deals a death blow to, takes the sting out of death. You know and believe this is God's word. God is holy. He's not capable of lie or deception. If death were not gain, if death were not better by far, he never would have moved Paul to write this, right? So you got to say this is truth. And when you get sick and you contemplate the possibility of death, and most cancer patients do, I did. And, and, and not only cancer patients, but lots of folks. And you contemplate the, the possibility of death. And fear wants to grip you. Immediately, Philippians 1 should come to your mind, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Better by far, see, to be with Christ, see. And you believe it, and you say, this is the truth. And you can't put your finger on all the details of heaven, but you know heaven's going to be the best of the best. Why? Because God said it in here. And that fearless faith, leads you across, I pray when you're dying that, that this passage is going to be in your mind. Death is gain. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I want that to be in your mind. And there you are, man, man, you're breathing your last, baby. And you cross that line from death to life, rejoicing at who your Savior is, and that he made you his own with all that confidence. See, how does having eternal perspective Change your life now. Let me tell you, our Lord tells this parable in Luke chapter 6. No, Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And we like to add, for tomorrow you shall die. But the Bible doesn't say that. It says, eat, drink, and be merry. That's his philosophy of life. But God said to him, you fool. If you have that worldview, that philosophy of life, the Bible says you're a fool. This very night, your life or your soul, King James, will be demanded from you. And then who's going to get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. See, that's the story of a non-believer whose philosophy of life was eat, drink, and be merry. And you got to know how many people who profess to be Christians live that philosophy today, man. Have it now, experience it all. See, we as believers know all this stuff about to be with Christ, which is better by far, it's gain. But how often we reflect the fact that we're not really sure. I'm not saying this is all of you, it's one of these if the shoe fits things. If what unbelieving people see in you and me is doing it all now, getting it all now, then you gotta ask yourself, what kind of a message does that send to those people? What kind of a message? 
I mean, you're right in there with them, man. You're buying, you're building, you're, 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 you're getting the best. You're getting it all now. Are, are you raising the bar? Are you raising the bar? Are you raising, are, are you giving these people something to look at, something to achieve? I say it like this. People like that want one foot in the world and one foot in the church. But if you have it all now, one foot in the world, one foot in the church, the world is going to look at you, that's the unbelieving world, and say, you know what they're going to say? They're going to look at you and say, oh, we're so glad that you're a Christian, but you're just like us. See, then you're not convicting anybody. We're so, oh, you're a Christian, and these other Christians convict us, but we're so glad that you're just like us. And you may not say it out loud, but the message you send is you do all this nice talk about heaven and eternal life and death is gain, but you sure don't believe it because you're not living it because you're getting it all right now. We are not convinced of God's promises. And the world is not convicted by your restraint. You set no higher standard. People aren't asking what's different about them. What is that something special about that person? We're so glad you're just like us. See, this is your perspective on life, and, and that's where it's headed, to eternal life. It really is gain. To be with Christ really is far better. And when you understand that, you ask a different set of questions. Not how much can I get before I die. Nothing like that. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.